In the name of our crucified and risen Lord. Amen. Just two weeks ago, we stood in this church and gathered around screens wherever we are to proclaim the great mystery at the heart of all things, that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, destroying death and making all things new. We came with the women to the tomb only to find the stone rolled away and the body gone. It's the mystery that stands at the heart of our Christian faith, the mystery that we proclaim throughout these great 50 days of Eastertide, the mystery that brings us back here this morning. Christ is raised from the dead and will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God forever. Each of the four Gospels finds its climax in that swirling, familiar, and yet mysterious scene as the women leave the tomb in fear and great joy to tell the others, he is not here. He has been raised, just as he said. But the Gospels don't stop there. Each of them then offers some scene or some vignette about what resurrection life looks like, some moment when the risen Christ comes and stands among his frightened disciples and reorients them, redirects them toward a future. I have an unnamed colleague here at St. James who likes to say every Easter, Alleluia, what's it to you? The Gospels each offer an answer to that question, a glimpse into how this resurrection life can unfold for us. I've come to think of them as Alleluia, what's it to you stories, and today we get Luke's. It's a fairly familiar story, one that takes us back to that first Easter day. The women have visited the tomb and run back to tell the others. Peter and John have run to the tomb and seen the same thing. And yet still we have these two disciples, Cleopas and his friend, fleeing town. They're on their way to the village of Emmaus, a day's walk from Jerusalem. And it seems that they are socially distancing themselves from the pain and the grief of the past days. Having witnessed the betrayal and arrest, the torture and the gruesome death of their friend, they can't quite make sense of the testimony of the others. It's not simply enough to hear about Jesus' resurrection. Like Thomas last week, they won't be able to take it in until they encounter it, encounter him for themselves. The grief and the disappointment they feel may seem a little too real for us these days. We had hoped that he was the one, they say to Jesus, of course not knowing it's Jesus. We had hoped. That feels a little too close to home this year, doesn't it? We had hoped. We had hoped to have our families and friends together for our wedding. We had hoped to enjoy that last semester together and to graduate with our friends. We had hoped to make that trip to celebrate that birthday. Or more personally, we had, I had hoped to see all of you in this church again before I say goodbye in a few weeks. We had hoped. And there are deeper, sadder ones too. 
We had hoped the virus wouldn't be this bad. We had hoped that we would be able to say goodbye in person. We had hoped that they would have a treatment or at least enough tests by now. We had hoped for a world with less division. We had hoped for a world in which everyone had the food they needed and the access to health care they deserved. We had hoped for a world in which there weren't 114,000 kids in our city trying to access online school from homeless shelters. We had hoped. It's so important that Luke's Alleluia, what's it to you story begins there in the dashed fears and hopes of those first disciples because we spent a lot of our time there too. But the hope of this story is in what comes next. How the risen Christ comes alongside, walks with them in their grief and in their confusion and leads them into new life. It doesn't happen all at once. It unfolds, slowly in fact, in three moves, but it comes. He comes to them and to us that we might behold him in all of his redeeming work. It begins, of course, along the road while they're fleeing town. Jesus comes alongside, he asks them what's happened, he listens to their story, and he frames it in the story. That's the first move. God comes alongside and gives us perspective, pulls the camera back and shows us the big story, promises us that we have a place in it. Were not our hearts burning within us as he opened the scriptures to us? They say after. Jesus helps them see how the Bible offers them all the perspective they need about what's really true, how the Bible tells the story of the loving purposes of God and God's plan for salvation. He shows them how it was necessary that the Messiah should suffer, suffer with us, suffer alongside us, that we might rise with him to newness of life. He reveals to them and to us the promise that is at the very heart of the scriptures, that God creates us for himself and will never let us go. Sin and grief and death may seem to cut us off. They may seem to get the last word, but they don't. God does. And God's last word is resurrection. So that's the first move. God gives us perspective, gives us the big story that we might entrust the ending to God. The second move comes when they stop for the night. And the disciples say to their yet unknown companion, stay with us. It's an invitation Jesus is happy to accept, not, of course, because he needs their hospitality, but because God longs for us to invite him in, to create space in our lives for him. Friends, that's the second promise of the Emmaus story. God doesn't just give us perspective. He gives us presence. The word made flesh, the God who became human, longs to dwell with us, to stay with us, that we would know we're ever walking in his sight and held by his love. Indeed, in this story, God doesn't just share life with us. God shares his life with us, takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to them, just as he had done so many times before. And while we can't yet receive the Eucharist right now, 
we know that we will again. And even now, we can feed on him and on his love in our hearts, for he is here, truly here. God gives us perspective. God gives us presence. And God gives us purpose. That's the third move. Jesus breaks the bread, their eyes are open, they know it's him in their midst, and they run back to Jerusalem to tell the others. Easter is that uncontainable mystery that propels us back into the world and into our lives as changed people. Having encountered the risen Christ, Cleopas and his friend can't stay there. They have to return and tell the others. Feeling their hearts burn within them with an indescribable great joy. They have to share it. Easter is that second big bang that sets in motion a new creation, that creates a movement, a church, a people who will seek to flood the world with truth and beauty and love, walking in his ways and guided by his spirit. We can be Christ's risen body in the world, living and loving fearlessly like Jesus that this hurting world might be healed, that this broken world might be a better place, and that all people might know God's justice and God's love. Alleluia, what's it to you? Turns out everything. For Easter turns our we had hopes into perspective, presence, and purpose. The risen Christ meets us where we are and gives us a future that our hearts might burn with love forever. For as our epistle today said so clear, through Christ we have come to trust in God. God who raised Christ from the dead and gave him glory so that our faith and our hope might be set on God. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.